Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke and along with me today is Ron Huntley, Director of Coaching at Divine Renovation. How are you doing, buddy? Great, bud. It's good to see you. And we have a co-host today, a guest co-host. His name's Eric Myatt. He's a parishioner at St. Benedict Parish and you do a few other things around the house, I think, right? A couple other things, yeah. Thanks for having me on, you guys. It's, oh, awesome. it's good to see you, man. It's really, I'm really glad to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on board. Awesome. So, uh, Ron... Uh, I was speaking to you. Uh, I guess it was just a, a few days back now, and uh, you were you were sleeping in in, in in luxury at the time. In luxury, there is a padded floor area in the Toronto airport. If you miss your connector flight, it's mildly better than sleeping on the hard floor. And so that's where I found myself. <laughs> a padded floor, <laughs> so not returning, a padded room. Returning <laughs> home from Chicago, it was uh, it was interesting. It made me really appreciate this little things in life, like a bed and a pillow. <laughs> so, you, so you were on the road. You were on the road for Divine Renovation, right? I was, yeah. And so you flew all the way over to Toronto, yeah. but that's not where your destination was. No, where were we you went to Chicago to visit Father Peter and Cardinal Supich and their team and just to really lean into the partnership that we're developing to help them in, in their mission. And uh, it was really exciting. It was really fun to be on the ground and, and to meet these people face-to-face, although many of them were at the Divine Renovation mm-hmm. Conference, but at the same time, seeing them in their digs and really getting to meet a lot of the broader team and hear what they're wrestling with and and their hearts, it was so much fun. So were, were you meeting with their leadership teams or parishioners themselves or who? who no, not parishioners, although I hope they're all parishioners somewhere, but <laughs> 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 no, but they were the diocesan staff in their different capacities. And they're doing a, a Renew My Church campaign under the, the leadership and vision of, of Cardinal Supich. And uh, it's incredible how many people they have involved, the alignment of the vision. Not easy though, like, you know, that's one thing at the diocesan level, then it's another thing, how you experience it as a priest and a pastor and then how you experience it as a, a layperson, as part of a community. It's challenging. Um, but the love they have for the church, the love they have for the mission of the church and the people in the church and their pastors is beautiful. And it was really fun. Yeah, it was great to, to meet them. And, and So they're, they're one of many, I think, dioceses around the world that are actually trying to, to transform a diocese. I mean, we, we work, we've worked with a lot of parishes and we've had, you know, such an amazing experience with parishes. Uh, but Chicago was the first diocese that we really got into a deep conversation about what it would be like to, to work with them as a, as a whole diocese. But let me ask you a question, Ron. What kind of impact do you think this would have if, if as, as they go down this path? What kind of impact do you think it might have in that diocese? Well, it's going to be interesting because, to your point, a lot of dioceses are wrestling with this issue, mostly because they have to restructure. Mm. Right? They have far more infrastructure than they have capacity and resources. And so it makes sense to restructure. Not everybody's also taking a focus on building up the church in terms of evangelization, discipleship, uh, leadership. And they are. And so there's, they have a five-step process, and we just get involved in the fifth step. So really, th- them and their team are doing all the heavy lifting. And it's amazing what they're doing. There's a lot of intelligent people there just laying it on the line to really make a difference. And so I think there are a lot of different ways that people are going about it. The way they're going about it, I find, is really exciting, which is great for us because we don't have the expertise to do that whole thing, restructure in an entire diocese. Yeah. But so they're... I don't know. I just love the way they're doing. I love where they got us involved and and their hopes. Uh, We talk the same language. We have the same passion and the same desire and and hope for the church. And so uh, if they do this well, and one of the things that is one of their greatest blessings is their diversity. They have so many different 
pockets of ethnic groups and people. And, mm. and so that, that also creates a lot of different challenges and struggles. Um, what's fun with us in the network, in the Divine Renovation Network, is we've been coaching into all kinds of different churches all over the world that also have different pockets of this. So we're going to be able to bring a lot of expertise to the table, which will be fun. But if they get this right, like if, if we're able to do what they hope to do, and we're just going to help them do what they hope to do. This is their mm -hmm. plan. We're just coming alongside to help. But if we're able to help them do what they're setting out to do, I think it I don't want to overstate it, but I think it could really help the world because the church we know is hemorrhaging worldwide in, in many ways. Yeah. And there's so many different languages spoken in this diocese that if we coach into these churches at the scale that they're asking us to do, and they start to renovate their own churches and start to go on mission and see change and, and, and start hitting the goals they hope to hit, well then, how many coaches are gonna come out of that that speak different languages? And once that happens, how many other countries can we help who are also struggling with a lot of the same things? We're gonna learn even more intensely about the different cultures and what obstacles they come up against in terms of their cultural Catholicism yeah. and how we can help resolve some of those issues all over the world. So it really does have the capacity to impact far greater than, than just Chicago. And if you think about it, um, you know, all these other dioceses that are doing their things too, and they're doing so many dioceses, you've got great people with great intent doing great work. Yep. And, but we're all, many of them are doing different things, are attacking it differently, which is nothing wrong with that. It's innovation, they're doing their best. We're gonna see some practices that maybe have better outcomes. And once we start to understand those and see the fruit of those, maybe we can learn from one another. And that's my hope. So I know that you guys coach parishes, but the, the diocese is, is new, to me, how, how do you find the conversation similar, but maybe the, the different elements of that conversation when you're speaking to parishes, but here you spoke to folks from the diocese. How, do, how does that dynamic differ? Do you know what, to be honest with you, I don't find it does. <laughs> and, 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 and maybe I'll learn that it does, but to me it doesn't. And a part of it's because I believe so much in people. If you have the right intent, if you have a relationship with Christ, you love Jesus, you love his church, and you love its mission, then we're all on the same page. And if we can continue to bring each other to that place and then create amazing teams and, and, and form, formulate a structure where we can support people so that they can thrive in what they do, and we can bring alignment and clarity to what they're responsible for, and when we can define what success looks like and help them lean into the things that work and make a difference, we can change the world. And that doesn't matter if you're a parish or you're a diocese, and the same principles apply. And also, I would say, what culture do we want to create? Can we be intentional about creating our culture and not just focus on what we do or what has to get done? Because if we focus on the tasks, we lose focus on the people. And when we lose focus on the people, that's a recipe for toxicity. And when you have toxic cultures, which most of them are, what ends up happening is it negatively impacts the creativity, the innovation, and the output that you can get in teams. And so mm. that's the same, whether you're in the pharmaceutical industry, whether you're with CCO, whether yeah. you're in a parish, or whether you're in a diocese, we can get that right, and we can help people build dynamic teams of trust, we can change the world. So on, on this trip, like, what, what did you find yourself um, communicating, your, your key messages pushing against? Because like, yeah, I mean, 15 years ago, evangelization um, was not talked about in the way that it's talked about now. Mission, missionary identity, who we are. Mm -hmm. So, what what kind of um, things are you seeing as sort of the next step in these kind of conversations that you would have had in in Chicago, but with the parishes as well? Because people kind of take for granted now, like, yeah, okay, evangelization, 
but but like this podcast bringing a parish from maintenance to mission mm. um that that's a, a new kind of dynamic mm. um, in the past few years so how's the conversation um mm. unfolding i guess in all the conversations you're having with these different people well in chicago they're driving the process mm. you know they're you know we're not coming to them saying hey let's Let's, uh, we really got to change the way things are happening. No, it's the opposite. <laughs> They've already done all the hard work. Their passion is so high. Their commitment is so high. Wow. Their goals are so high. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I heard a person say, I think it was Bill Scollard who works with St. Benedict Parish, tells a story of a Buffalo Bills coach one time being interviewed, knowing full well that he has a team that has a reputation for being highly motivated. And so the interviewer asked him, hey, coach, what do you do to keep your team and your coaches motivated? And he said, nothing. I hire motivated people. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, going to Chicago, it was, I just met so many unbelievably cool people that were highly motivated, focused, intelligent, faithful, that, you know, uh, <laughs> the hard work's already done. Wow. I we're, think the Holy Spirit's aligning so many things <laughs> in Chicago. And so I, I, I don't want to, to overstate, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on them because I imagine some of them are watching. <laughs> but we, have, we expect great things from Chicago. <laughs> But I, what I love about what, what you said earlier was around the multicultural aspect. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, Ron, if you uh, think back, I guess almost a year, not quite a year ago, um, we had we had one of our, our, our closest friends and advisors flying to town, and, and he was here, and he gave us a lot of really good advice. And among the things he told us, he's like, guys, you guys should really just focus on English-speaking countries, yeah, right? Because you don't have the capacity to deal with with you know with countries that speak a different language. Mm -hmm. And and I can remember us all sitting around the table, going, oh yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great. We should do that. Not all of us. And, uh, Father James, Father James. <laughs> he was not buying that well, for Father a minute. He's got the world in mind. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you <laughs> know, true. God bless Father James, because I think the Holy Spirit put it in his heart and wouldn't let him let go. And and I look at the what we're seeing now in all sorts of different countries. I mean, like I think of the Divine Renovation in 2018 conference, right? I mean, we had 12 countries here in Halifax for that conference, 42 countries joining us online. I mean, that that's a lot of different uh, diversity all at play. And we can't meet that demand. It's, it's impossible. But I think, you know, things like Chicago, which is a, a diverse community, a, a diverse diocese, begins to help give us some of those, um, I guess, uh, those, what word am I looking here for here? It's, it's that notion that we're, we're setting the camps of, of, of po pockets of possibility mm. uh, that we could find in, in, in a diocese like Chicago, which God's already put so many of the right pieces together for. Well, and they're not the only ones, if, to be honest. I mean, you yeah. know, our friends that are listening in Scotland who uh, are in the network, ha half their church, maybe 60% are Polish. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many churches in the U.S. where half their congregation is Hispanic? And so, you know, there are friends in London, East London, who have a high uh, African population. And so we are already coaching into all, all sorts a lot of different yeah. demographics, which makes it really fun. So that's why I don't find it intimidating oh to goodness. go in this direction. But again, and one of my most exciting things is Father Tiago in Portugal yep. is in the network now. Uh, I mean, we're coaching into a Portuguese country because we raised up a coach in Australia who speaks Portuguese as well as English. And so, you know, and then we have Pablo, one of our coaches in Mexico City, who speaks Spanish and, and English. And so, oh my so goodness, you guys. Scotland. You know, and, and our friends in Germany, you know, yeah. that, you know, Father Hesse and his team there, like, and don't think they're not going to make something amazing yeah. happen because, so, you know, I love Father James's vision was never small. And, and he, he resists anyone's attempt to make it smaller because he just because this and and up it's because he's being compelled by the spirit to help 
people. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to build an empire. We're trying to bless people and people of all different shapes, sizes, demographics, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic status are, are seeking an experience of being Catholic that's absolutely transformative. And we all know in our gut that that's what we long for. Yeah. You got Scotland, Germany, Mexico City, where else do you say around? Australia. <laughs> who is, who is listening to this right now? You guys didn't tell me it was uh, all of <laughs> <laughs> You didn't sign up for this. Yeah, we got so caught up in that conversation. <laughs> Who's this Eric guy and how do you get on set today is really the question. So who listens to this podcast? A lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. Um, My mom is going to listen to this one. It's gonna be. <laughs> Audience just tripled in size. Yeah, right <laughs> like, You're usually welcome. we have like half of one person. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> no, it's great. But Eric, why, why don't we uh, get a sense of a little bit better of, of who, who you are for people who are listening and, and joining us. Uh, who are you? My name's Eric. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's Whatever all you need to know. Says. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so you, one of the things I think you're doing, so you're, you're a parishioner at St. Benedict yep. Parish. And one of the things I know you're doing right now that's really cool is you are the leader of the newest, the, the shiniest, uh, the, the most, the, that new car smell uh, connect group at St. Benedict Parish, right? Yeah, yeah. We started that um, a couple of weeks back. We just had our second get together on Sunday. And, and I mean, I love it. It's it's so good. A chance for for some of the folks who have gone through Alpha to experience an ongoing sense of community, fellowship. We share a meal together. Um, we have a, someone share a talk from the Connect group. So an outside person doesn't come in. It's actually from our Connect group that this is happening. And then we have a discussion about it, similar to the, the format around Alpha. And we have some time of prayer with music at the end. And we pray for each other. We pray for uh, our needs, the needs of the folks in our Connect group. So let me ask awesome. you this. How is, it, how is your Connect group, how was it assembled? So we were part of a Connect group for about two years. We were um, participants in mm -hmm. a Connect group. And we loved it. We looked forward to it every every couple of weeks. And then um, we joined a discipleship group with another couple from our Connect oh, group who right. happened to be leading the Connect group that we were a part of. So we grew in relationship with this, this What's couple. a discipleship group as it relates to a Connect group? Yeah, so a discipleship group is a small, um, smaller group, typically, uh, of... Uh, of parishioners or of people in your connect group, a subset, but sometimes from people outside, and it's content-based. So it's a short-term commitment. It has a start date, an end date, and oh, um, four to has, ten people. Yeah, four to ten people, and oh. you have uh, content that that's in there. So mm -hmm. we start with a program called the Spiritual Gifts Inventory, which uh, was a wonderful product of the St. Catherine Siena Institute in the U.S. And we moved on to our, our Lenten uh, series that the parish took that's on. Nice. It was awesome. But in the midst of all that, we, we grew us two couples, myself, my wife, Angie, and this other couple. And, uh, and we thought, you know, um, what's kind of next for us? Around the right. same time, there was a big need for, for uh, connect groups at the parish. And so we were asked to take on leadership of this new family-friendly connect group. So away we went. Love it. Yeah. Family friendly means what? So yeah, th these this particular Connect group, we've got a ton of kids. I think we had like <laughs> two dozen kids at right. this Connect group. There was about uh, around twenty people at our um, our last Connect group, adults, and then however many kids are kicking around. I just count of those things. <laughs> Kick them out in the backyard to play and have fun. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's we have, awesome. We have four ourselves, and they look forward to Connect group as well. They have friends in their Connect group. They, they join us for the meal, they have a, a video or something, but they have a blast and they, we absolutely destroy someone's house. <laughs> no, just just kidding, it's right, because nobody no, will do it. No one will do it, exactly. No, just kidding, it's a great time. They love it. Right. It's awesome, yeah. 
Uh, so this week on, um, I guess it was uh, earlier in the week, I, I went to uh, one of our, our parishioners' houses because we were pulling together all of the volunteer team leads from the DR18 conference for a debrief meeting. Nice. And so um, so I was over at her house and uh, I was looking at her living room and there was a bunch of chairs there. And I said, you know, Colleen, this might not be enough chairs. She's like, oh, they won't all show up, right? And, and sure enough, all like 18 DR18 team leads showed up. So like you can imagine like how many volunteers, because DR18 was, was we had so many volunteers from the parish. It was over 280 mm. people put on or were part of uh, volunteering to make that conference happen. And so we, we, we had this um, this debrief and Elizabeth from our team, she she drove us through a bunch of really, you know, pointed questions like, you know, what did, and and then the other thing she did, and this is, this is what was so cool, Ron, um, we had done feedback forms yeah. for all of our, our volunteers. And so all 280. And so uh, and so she had this, this this document in front of her, and it was a series of questions and categories, right? And Ron, I've heard you say this before, and uh, but this uh, so what you what, what you've said in the past is that when we did DR16 two years ago, it really brought us all together, it united us as a as a community in a new and amazing way. That when you when you've got when everyone from all these different ministries is all sort of united under one task, it, it creates this amazing sense of unity. And so we had these volunteer forms, so like these feedback forms from 280 people. People. I don't know how many people actually submitted, but, you know, lots of them. Yeah. And she, so Elizabeth's going through it. Anyway, she was flipping through page after page, and it was just rows of, of numbers that, of what people, you know, checked, not by 1 to 10, 1 to 10, 1 to 10. Anyways, it, she got all the way to page 3 before she found the first number that wasn't a 10. For, it was page wow. after page, 10 out of 10, parishioners saying this was just such an amazing experience, that we loved it, uh, that it was such a great, uh, that they felt so much, uh, they felt appreciated. That they, Anyways, it was just so cool mm. to hear, like, how our community sort of was, was not just unique. United, but but was felt so empowered mm. by the opportunity to host people from around the world here and to go through page after page of 10 out of 10s it was like it was it was humbling in a lot of ways mm. but it, it really drove home that point that I've heard you make in the past that is that when when we're united in a mission like that mm. wow it can be powerful well sometimes we need a rally cry and you know the parishes that are listening to this you know sometimes we just get in a routine of doing church and doing church isn't enough. And every now and again, we need a, a great, big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG. Mm. Uh, and because when we do, it unites us together. And I hope that when we create those goals and opportunities, we make them really big and scary. Because when we do, it engages people's imaginations and hearts. Nobody's drawn to a small vision. Yep. Nobody is drawn to a small vision. And so to be able to do this, people are taking time off work and everything else, taking vacation time to serve and minister to other people. And it does. It's a uniting force. And force for what? Force for Jesus. We're building the kingdom of God. There's nothing more exciting in life. I don't care what you do, how much money you make, and how happy your life is. There's nothing that will bring more happiness and joy to your life than helping use your gifts to build up the kingdom of God. It's true. And one of the things Kerry Newhoff um, was saying was uh, that we're, we're all, we lower the bar almost too much sometimes for our volunteers as a church, that we don't we don't give them enough of a challenge. And so how can you possibly attract high caliber people if you're not giving them a, a real challenge? If you've lowered the bar so, so that it's so simple for them to be part, then you're not actually giving them space to, to, to inhabit that role and to be the right kind of leader in your church. It's true. I, that's what drove me to do Alpha. Because uh, I, I was thinking, I want to serve my church. And it's like, great, you can read. 
It's like, well, okay, but so can a thousand other people. Well, you can distribute communion. Well, I love Holy Communion, but so can a thousand other people. Like, this doesn't do anything to tax my gifts and grow me as a person. And, you know, are we using people to build up our church? Or as Rick Warren says, are we using our church to build up people? And if we're going to build people up, we need to stretch and challenge people. And so we need activities, goals, missions, visions that are wildly cool, not just enough to get through our liturgy and put people through Sunday school. Yeah. That's too small a goal. So today's the um, the last day of school for my kids. Uh, so my wife's uh, <laughs> actually, I bet you she's picking them up roughly right about now. It's it's um, in the pouring very, rain in the pouring <laughs> rain here in, in Halifax. Uh, but what it, what the last day of school reminds me of is the fact that we're about to hit summer. And so this we we do a webinar, a monthly webinar with parishes in our Divine Renovation Coaching Network, right? So the network gets to be part. And so that earlier this week, um, Father James uh, and Rob McDowell uh, did a webinar, and they, it was all on um, using your summer, maximizing your summer. And uh, so anyways, I, I'm, I'm feeling summer now because like here in Canada, we're about to hit summer. And uh, in Nova Scotia, we get three weeks of it. We get three weeks of it. <laughs> I'm open for a long weekend. Long <laughs> and it's, it's one of those times though, where I think we have to recharge as people in ministry roles. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity. Summer is an opportunity to recharge. So I want to know, guys, what are you doing to recharge this summer? Yeah, well, I get to uh, take in a little bit of sailing. I'm a sailor. My wife and I get to go race uh, on um, Wednesday nights at a nearby yacht club here. We got into it actually through uh, Father Rob Arsenault, who was a companion <laughs> of the cross, the order of, of the pastor of St. Benedict Parish, Father Simon. And it is such a blast. We love it. It's such a great way to rest and relax. I'll tell you, there's um, nothing relaxing about the starting line oh, in amazing. a race. It is like <laughs> it's, it's like a bully's intense. field day. It's scary. It. Like, it is horrifying. So fun. <laughs> Ministry-wise, yeah, things, the pace changes a little bit. We do campus ministry. CCO is a, called Catholic Christian Outreach. We're a national Canadian university student movement. And we work with uh, students on campus uh, in evangelization. And we also build them up to be leaders in the renewal of the world. Speaking of Amen. audacious goals, we yeah. aim for the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of people I coach into in different parts of the world are very familiar with CCO. Yeah. So you guys have been in different parts of the world. You're impacting and different a, parts of the world. It's a compelling vision. I mean, especially in, in the hearts of young people who are, are you know, idealistic. They want to go after the big time, you know. Mm. And so to, to cast a compelling vision for them uh, is something that they want to be a part of and, and get into. Mm. Um, so the summer obviously winds down on, on campus and our uh, missionaries with CCO, there's about 80 or 85 uh, full-time lay missionaries that work with the movement. And we're all responsible for raising the money necessary to, uh, to fund our salaries and our ministry expenses. So the summer is a big time of focus on uh, fundraising. So it's a change of pace, a little different from the rhythms of campus, um, but it, but it's uh, uh, fulfilling and, and hard work for many of our staff doing that. Well, sometimes a change is as good as a rest. Yep. You know, when oh, yeah. you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, you know, yeah, you could take a vacation and that's great. We need them. But also sometimes switching our focus gives us a rest as well. And I think that the, what Rob and Father James talked about in the session last week was the types of things that we do as parishes to evaluate how the year has gone. Uh, set goals for the year ahead and then to plan that out, which again, just changing gears can sometimes feel like a rest. I know myself, mm. I'm going to be taking some Fridays off. I hope to get out golfing with my uncles and my son. So that will be a lot of fun. And I, you know, that, that'll be great. I expect to take a week too to head up to Quebec City to watch my son's uh, 
training camp this year, so that'd be fun. Patrick Waugh is going to be his uh, head coach this year and general manager. That means a lot to so, all the Canadians. Yeah, that's listen. right. Wow. Everybody else Everyone like, in yeah. Canada is like, really? Wow. Everyone else yeah. is like, what is he talking about? Yeah, they're too busy watching the World Cup, right? <laughs> <laughs> so those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to. I'm taking a six-week um, uh, respite from coaching uh, because there are other things that, in the ministry that I need to focus on to, to build up. One of them is the fact that, you know, right now we have seven coaches in the network and... You know, I really believe that we're going to need about 75 in the next three years to coach probably upwards of 225 churches. And so I realize as we're growing, I can get so busy doing ministry that I don't become intentional about what I want to create. Because if, my, if the team is going to grow, I want to take some time this summer and I want to evaluate what kind of a culture do I want for, for these people? What do I want them to experience as a coach in the network? And, and, and you know, to be honest with you, I want this to be the the highlight of their working career. Mm. I want them to, to look at being a coach as the funnest, most challenging, engaging, exciting thing they've ever done that's made the biggest difference in anything they've ever done in their life. That's the goal I want to create for the people who coach in the network. And so that doesn't happen by mistake. And so I'm gonna take some time this summer with the team that is on the ground here, and we're gonna start thinking about that and making some concrete plans and goals to make sure that that's what people's experience is if they're working with us in the network as a coach. And so I'm excited. So you have seven coaches, Ron. What's your pipeline for coaches? I mean, I'm familiar with the pipeline at the parish, um, the leadership pipeline, our evangelization that we do there. How do you raise up coaches and you talk about your hope to have more in the future. How, how does that look like? It's a lot like Alpha, really. A lot of the skills I've learned by doing Alpha well are the same skills that I use in raising up coaches in the network because all of our coaches, one of the things that's most important to us is everything we do is from the ground up. It's from the grassroots. This isn't a top-down movement. It's a bottom-up. And so it's the people in the network that we're coaching. As I'm coaching them, I'm looking for, are they faithful, available, contagious, and teachable? Are they on fire for what we're doing? Do they have a heart for it? Do they have the skill set? Do they have the emotional intelligence? Do they ask good questions? Do they listen well? And as I see those skill sets in people, I make a mental note, often talk about it to the leadership team, and start to flag people as possibles, because we want people to be in the network for at least a year before we call them into. Uh, this ministry. And that's only, too, if their church begins to turn around. So if they begin to experience the benefits they're of going fruitful. from if yeah. they're being fruitful, yeah. because if they're not, then they're not ready yet, because I need people who are leaders. I need people who are leading change. And so we look for that in people that we're coaching. And then we just have that I see in you conversation, because if I really do see that in people, I let them know. Mm. Uh, then they would have to ask their pastor. Some of them are some of the new coaches coming into the network are pastors. Um, but uh, most are lay people that have important roles in the church and are a big part of the change in their churches. And so, you know, they have to get the approval of their pastor because I don't want to do that without Their pastor says, approval. don't take my best people. Well, <laughs> and here's the nice thing. We're not taking anybody take because they actually stay doing exactly what they're doing and they just take on, uh, you know, a church or two. Wow. And so what that ends up doing in terms of the benefit to the people, the coaches... There's nothing like coaching to reinforce your values and your principles that you speak, which helps you to evaluate your own behavior when you're executing ministry and leading. And so what's happening to them is they're learning so much about themselves as they coach, and it helps them to double down on the things that get results. And so they become even bigger asset 
to their pastor mm -hmm. and their leadership team and their ministry. And so it's not taking anybody at all. It's actually enhancing those people, growing those people as they share and grow them. We're constantly yeah, cool. trying to grow people. That's sort of the that's the crux, I think, of the DNA, DNA of of Jesus. I was going to say the DNA of DRM. That's <laughs> so many that's, acronyms that's all, around here. But it is the DNA of the Divine Renovation Ministry, right? Is yes. is to identify, raise up leaders everywhere we possibly can. And I think it, it's it's the only way, though, that we can ever hope to have the kind of impact that we think that the Holy Spirit wants us to have. We have to, you know, we have to raise up and help raise up and identify leaders around the world, give them platform, amplify what they're already doing because they're doing amazing things. Yeah, it's so true. One of my favorite stories was of the DR18 conference was Katie K. Shuttleworth uh, being interviewed as part of the keynote because I know that speaking in public like that is not one of her favorite things to do. And she's not alone, let's face it. I mean, a lot of people are you know not comfortable speaking in front of large groups. And uh, I know it was not something that she was looking forward to, but she was so gracious, so impactful, so good. And I loved that she did it despite probably wishing someone else did. And I <laughs> yep. just grew, I thought it was great that the, the global leader of Alpha in a Catholic context, we're even able to help her step out of her comfort zone. Wow. So, <laughs> so Kitty, if you're listening, we think you're great. You did an amazing job. Yeah, the 700 people there, the 13,000 people online loved what you said. <laughs> right? I just think it's wow. amazing because we really do. And, and that's, that's the thing even in the network by bringing Eric on as a co-host. Well, you know, have you ever co-hosted a video podcast before? Can't say I have, no. Right, no. and so we're constantly looking for people of capacity like Eric and giving them opportunities to stretch and grow and learn new skills. And and that's how we run our parish, that's how we run our ministry, and that's how we want to... All right, let's, let's break it there because I think we're going to bring on our next leader. I have, we've asked Phil Marman to join us today. So we're going to be right back with Phil. Have you ever read books or listened to talks on parish renewal and leadership and thought, that's good for them? <laughs> but how would that ever happen in my parish? And do these people even know what it's like to be in a parish? How do you bridge the gap between the theory and real life parish? The Divine Renovation Association exists for all those reasons. It's created for and by people who have lived it and are living it right now in real life parishes. I believe that every parish has the potential to impact the world around it. I believe that every leader has the capacity to be a better leader. I believe that every parish can be so much better and more exciting than it currently is. And we want to help with that, to help you and your team to move your parish from maintenance to mission. Welcome back to the Divine Renovation Podcast. We've got with us Phil Marmon. How are you doing, Phil? I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. So, Phil, you're the, the what, what is your job title at St. Benedict Parish? I'm the music ministry leader. That's kind of like an overarching music ministry, so not just a specific 9 a.m., um, but I kind of oversee all of the All the music. music all the music that happens in that building, yes. you oversee. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's a little bigger than that too, isn't it? Because music's not just what we do on Sundays, is it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking. We haven't quite figured out how to integrate the Alpha and Connect groups, um, discipleship group, maybe um, that kind of thing. Yeah. We haven't quite figured that piece out yet. I'm only 15 mm. hours a week, so it's you know, we want to keep it reasonable yes. um, to do what I'm doing well rather than overload me. Yeah. Um, but we're we're talking through those points. Right. Well, Phil, before we talk about the, the music ministry itself and, and your various roles at the parish, why don't you give us a sense of how you got connected to St. Benedict Parish? Where's the, the genesis of, of your, your relationship with that place? Sure. Uh, so I moved to Halifax in 2012, um, not interested in joining ministry. I just kind of wanted to 
be in a parish and just kind of be in the back and not really Why be that? involved. I, I just um, come off of a few years of, of, uh, of net ministry. So two years of pretty full on ministry. So um, I can describe what yeah. that is. You can't just say so, net. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. so, yeah. so net, net teams or net ministries of Canada. Um, what we do or what they do is, um, kind of a similar idea to CCO in the sense that you get about 60 young adults, um, train them up and then send them out in teams. Um, and what they do is they can either be stationed in parishes and they'll help, um, kind of start or, or grow a ministry in that parish, or they can be traveling teams where they'll go around to schools and churches and put on like day retreats or for youth, right? for youth yep. yeah, for young adults, yep. sometimes um, families, children, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, so you were in that, you were you were doing you were doing that, and then yeah. you then you were happy to sit in the back pew of <laughs> a parish, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, to be fair, I had had a few years. It was about two years after Net that I that I moved to Halifax, but I was still kind of weary, we'll say. <laughs> yep. um, and uh, anyway, the guys that I was living with. One of them was playing drums in the band at St. Benedict, and they needed a guitarist. And so he said, you know what, Phil, um, are you interested in coming to play guitar at, uh, in the band? And as much as I didn't really want to get involved in music ministry, I felt that God was asking me to, to do this. And so I said, sure. And then that's when I started coming to St. Benedict and uh, met my wife. What year, uh, <laughs> what, what, what year, what year was that? Just, uh, 2012 in the fall 2012. of 2012. Yeah. Okay. Six yeah. years ago. It's been a while. And the, the very first day you met your wife? No. No, no not the very first day. Pretty girls there. You wouldn't believe that back to you. That's funny. Were you always into music? Like like uh, you said, you kind of came to St. Benedict mm -hmm. and you were going to play guitar. Mm -hmm. Have you always been sort of musically inclined? Did you learn on NAT or what, what's uh, your background? Well, so my music... music Involvement in my life started when I was five. I started playing violin and cello uh, from a young age, so classic, oh classical music training there. Um, and by the time I was 15, I was too cool to do that stuff. So uh, probably one of the most regrettable decisions of my life. But uh, and then I too picked cool up the guitar uh, when I graduated high school, and so I kind of played from that point on. And a lot of my um, ministry formation, I guess, like how to play guitar in a ministry setting and how to lead in that setting kind of came from my time with net actually cool. so i learned a lot there yeah hmm. yeah that's really interesting so let, let me ask you a couple of questions about your experience at net because we've actually had net people at our parish before yeah. and and so just like with the cco th there's a certain culture i guess that that mm -hmm. net would 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 um, instill mm -hmm. in in their uh, in their young people that they work with how did you find that that transition from the net culture into a parish a good question. Um, my transition kind of happened when I was in St. John, actually, when I was still living in New Brunswick. Um, and a big piece for me was that I had community. Um, because when you're in coming St. John? Up in, in St. John, yeah, yeah, when you're coming off of net, like your experience in that is very intense community. Mm -hmm. You know, you're with these same five to eight people or whatever it is for eight months. And you're always calling each other to to be a better person, to be holy. And there's constant prayer. There's constant, you know, it's just you're being built up by these people. And you come out of that and it can feel like a void, right? Yeah. It can be really difficult. Um, so I had community coming out of it. And um, and there was a, a, a music ministry that, that I was involved in in St. John as well. So there was kind of like a little soft landing there, I guess. Right. Um, but uh, it, it, my experience... 
you can come out of net being either wiped and not interested in, in ministry at all or completely on fire and that's all you want to do. Those are kind of, I mean, I'm sure there are in-betweens, but those are kind of the extremes that, you see. that I've run into, yeah. Right. So in terms of your, your role then at St. Mm-hmm. Benedict Parish, you're, you're in charge of the, all the music uh, that, that happens. Uh, but I, I see you the most, my encounter with you the most is actually mm-hmm. at 9 a.m. because you're part of the, the 9 a.m. band, right? Yes. So why don't you talk just a little bit about it. Give us a sense of what happens at 9 a.m. at Mass at St. Benedict for those who've never been. Sure. Um, well, we have a, um, a band uh, that provides the music ministry for that point. So we've got um, key, it's guitar and keyboard led, basically acoustic guitar and keyboard. We'll kind of um, balance between those two. And then we'll, we have, we have a, a bass, an electric bass and electric guitar and a drum kit. And that's kind of the, the music setup that we have. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure what else to say about that. Well, what kind of, uh, tell us a bit about the style of music and, okay. and the way oh, that, right. that, that worship happens on at the 9 a.m. Yeah, what so are your goals as a music ministry right. in terms of leading worship? Right. So one of our the big things that we that we shoot for is congregational participation. Um, we see that kind of language in the in some of the Vatican documents, active participation, conscious active participation. So that's one of the things that we really shoot for. We want people to be singing. We want people to be beyond singing, praying the music. Um, and so some of the ways that we try to achieve that is by, you know, using songs fairly consistently. So they, they're known to the congregation. Um, and, uh, and if we're bringing in new songs, we try to teach them, that sort of thing. Um, we want to, our, our number one goal is to help people pray. Right, so that's that's the that's the main thing, and keeping that as our priority is very important to us. So, I think that's my experience of what's happened at that service too. And I think of um, you know, that, the, so that's the the service I would normally attend uh, with with my my family. I say with my family, my wife's in ministry; she's downstairs working, but I'm upstairs. <laughs> uh, I'm well, upstairs celebrating mass. Yeah. mass yeah. <laughs> my connect group family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, like I, what I love about that service, uh, my experience of it anyway, is that everyone around me is just belting out those songs, right? I know, Like, it's true. we can... just belt them out. Yeah, it, it's so fun. And then, too, because of the culture that we've been able to foster over the last seven or eight years with Alpha, particularly helping people to surrender to Jesus and to be open to the Spirit, you know, it's not uncommon for some people to to lift their hands in praise mm-hmm. and adoration of God mm-hmm. while they're singing. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does, but we're not trying to get everybody to do anything. We just want to give people the freedom to worship. And I find you guys do such a good job of creating that space um, to that I can just feel like I can be myself before the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's so That's compelling, great. like like the way that you guys lead. Um, I'm not sure how we can know this, but we, like you're praying those songs. We're all beneficiaries of your your leadership in mm-hmm. in that ministry and. Uh, Boy, just just the the environment that you help create that that uh, helps elevate our experience of of mass um, and the and the beauty of the Eucharist and and the reception of the Eucharist. Like you, you're you're building us um, to to do all those things better. So mm-hmm. how is your experience when you're when you're leading? Like, is it are you kind of caught up in sort of the the technical aspects of it? Because it's, <laughs> like it's not a small job to lead a band. Yeah. Uh, no, it's true. And, and to yeah. be responsible for that impact and to do it well and to remove distractions and things. That like, mm-hmm. so what's going on in your mind during mass? Like, are you able to to pray, um, or do you find it super distracting to have to lead right, all these people? Right. Uh, I I would certainly say that um, one of the things that we've prioritized um, is we want to be um, worship leaders. And, and by that, I mean, 
we lead by worshiping ourselves, right? So it's mm, it's not well we're we're kind of we're, we're trying to not be outside of the whole experience. Mm. We're we're at the front. Sure, we're at the front of it. People are kind of following our lead, but um, that's been a, a huge thing for us. That said, it's easy to be distracted by the little right. things that happen. You know, yeah. guitar goes out of tune, battery dies in a in a in a DI or an amplifier, whatever it is. Um, right. Things happen. That's life. Yeah, there's, there's always a certain <laughs> element of you kind of have to be backed up from it a little bit just to mm-hmm. kind of stay on top of things. Um, but we do try to be as engaged in the mass as possible so that people see that and they say, oh, okay, well, this is this is something that I should be doing too. Well, you make it look easy, but but I know that you guys put a ton of work into it. Can you share about kind of your your commitment outside of, you know, the, the 9 a.m. mass? There's a lot goes right. into what you guys are doing. Right. Um, well, I mean, there's rehearsal, uh, which is uh, typically we rehearse on a, on Tuesday evenings, um, and uh, it's usually we shoot for an hour and a half rehearsal. That kind of includes setup, but it often goes two hours, um, and so that's and that's playing rehearsing songs that we know already. So like trying to polish those up and trying to really right, to get into better. Mm. Yeah, and we want to we want to get into um, a space where we're not concerned about how we're playing it we want to know the songs so well that we can just have the freedom to, to mm. pray it um yeah. and then and lead people in that like in anything that way, else right? that so. you're great at the, you know people that are great at stuff usually work really hard at stuff mm-hmm. before you see them which mm-hmm. is so cool but one of the other things that that you guys are involved with helping us lead is the praise and worship nights that yeah. we do i don't know is that quarterly kind of that we do that yeah, or every couple we, of months we're talking or? about doing them more frequently but presently yeah. it's about four per ministry season right. so, so every couple months or so, so we, we spend a extended period of time just again leaning into that culture of praise and worship yeah. but it's interesting because just this past week when i'm coaching uh most of the churches in the network had an mm-hmm. opportunity to attend the conference and you know i was asking people what were some of the highlights and so many people said the, well, first of all, the volunteers always steal the show, just for the record. Like, yeah, there's yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no beating the impact our volunteers just have on the, the world, right? Yeah, like, truly, that was their, everyone's number one experience was the mm-hmm. hospitality and the, just the beauty of our volunteers. But one of the other common things that came up was music. Mm-hmm. And, and what's neat is it came up in two ways. Many people said, I've never had an opportunity to pray like that. And oh, they wow. felt so caught up in the praise. And a lot of them are aspiring to bring that type of music into their experience of liturgy, but also the culture of their church, because it's more mm-hmm. than just liturgy. Yeah. It's a, this type of music gets played in other parts of people's experience of prayer at mm-hmm. our church. But the other thing, and I thought this was equally valid, you know, some people said, I didn't like it. Yeah. You know, that's not their experience of being Catholic. And, yeah. and they found it distracting to enter into prayer. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I can relate to that because, you know, when people are expressive with their prayer and, you know, hands are up or things like that, it's so not my experience of Sunday Mass mm-hmm. that it's so foreign I find it distracting. But mm-hmm. personally, I remember experiencing that the first time. I went to run for my life. <laughs> I knew there was something authentic there. Mm-hmm. I knew there was beauty there, but it was so foreign to my experience of going to church on Sunday. I wanted to run for my life. It was only several years later that I had the, I don't, I don't know what it was, but the willingness, I guess, mm-hmm. to submit myself to that environment. But honestly, it led me to a place of surrender. Mm. And I find that style of music, I listen to Gregorian chant when I pray in the morning, so I love all kinds of different styles of music. I listen to Bach while I'm working mm-hmm. because it's no lyrics and I love the, the, the sounds. And, and so I, I'm very eclectic in my music style, but I find when it comes to really surrendering my life to Christ, 
I can relate to the words, I can sing along, I can enter in, mm -hmm. and it just takes me to a place where I can be present. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people spoke to that from the conference, and mm -hmm. so, you know, it's more than just the liturgies. Yeah, it? yeah, and on the note of the praise and worship nights, so where that came from is we, this is a few years ago that we started it, but we had a sense that maybe people were enjoying the music, but not necessarily praying the music. And so we kind of recognize that praying with music isn't necessarily a natural thing for, for a lot of people. They might not know how to, how to do it. And so that was the idea behind the Praise and Worship Nights, is we wanted to give people um, kind of a forum or a venue where they could, we could be intentional about teaching them to pray with it. Right. right? And so we can... Not assuming. Exactly, exactly. And, and there's so much more freedom in outside of the context of the liturgy to say, this is what this is about. And then we can just do it for a long time and people can get used to it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of... And not to mention how much fun it is for you guys to just oh, yeah. rip it up. Like yeah, the yeah. volume comes up, Carlos <laughs> just pulls out every pedal he has and goes crazy. And you know, yeah, you guys, yeah. it's a fun opportunity it to is. be expressive and yeah. creative, isn't it? It is, it is. Yeah. And you need to have fun in ministry. You, yeah. you want to use your gifts in a way that you're growing and being stretched. Yeah. And yeah. and it gives you guys, like you say, a venue to do that. Yeah. So the 9 a.m. service is, is the one I go to. So it's the one I'm always most comfortable talking about because I go there every week. Uh, but there's a totally different music style happening at uh, at the next service. Why don't you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Sure. So the 11:15 mass, we have um, kind of a more traditional choir. Um, they'll sing some, and by traditional, I don't mean like 1980s, 1960s. <laughs> I mean like this stuff has been in the church for hundreds of years. You got a problem with the 80s? Uh, <laughs> 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 good, good, good hair, good hair. For a different podcast. Um, but, uh, and, and kind of the idea there is recognizing what you were saying, Ron, that for some people, they just don't connect with contemporary music. And, and some people just don't pray well with that. And some people pray really well with this more traditional stuff, the Gregorian stuff and the, the polyphonic stuff. Um, and so we, we offer that. What does that, that word mean? Wow. Polyphony. Uh, poly, many, and phony voices. So many voices. Oh, so it, cool. it, technically it, it means people, the people in the choir are singing kind of different things. It's kind of layered, really neat stuff. Nice. Um, really challenging. Um, and often stuff that you don't necessarily participate in. Right, and so that's kind of where the challenge comes in for for using it using it at mass. But um, it was certainly written for the mass, and so there's there's a balance to be struck there. Right. Um, well, but, probably at a time when it was still in Latin, yep. when people didn't really like. Yeah, right, so exactly. there was a disconnect anyway in yeah. terms of how mass was celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we can experience God through beauty, right? And Amen. and certainly this traditional um, music can reach different depths of beauty than we can with contemporary music, right? It's just, it's a, it's a different level. Different expression. Exactly. So it's mm -hmm. just, it's good to be able to offer that. And we're blessed mm -hmm. to, to have really great people in place for that. Do you ever get to, to participate in the 1115 uh, choir? Funny story. I typically I don't because, you know, if I did, that would just make for a very long Sunday morning for me because we get there at 730 um, right. to prep yeah. for the nine. So, um, so usually, no, I, I have sung in choirs before, and I love singing in choirs, and I would love to sing in that choir. Usually I don't. But uh, DR, on Tuesday, DR18, um, they were short a tenor. And so that morning, um, Peter, the the music, the, the choir director said, Phil, can you sing with us? And I, I said, I had no well, idea. give me the music. This is like an hour or so before, so I kind of took a look at it. and I did, an okay, I did okay. There was another tenor there, so I kind of... Uh, you're to lean on him. Exactly. <laughs> wow. but, uh, I had no yeah. idea. What's so cool about Peter too? Like he's an award-winning composer. Yeah. 
Like he yeah. he has chops. Like he, he does. really does. Yeah. Like and I know it's so beautiful that and I think this is your influence too, just really building relationships with all mm -hmm. the different music ministries, mm -hmm. including Kim at the six mm -hmm. PM and what's so fun is they just completed Alpha and yeah. and I heard they really enjoyed that. They so, did, you know, yeah. they're in the game plan with us and yeah. and it's just so much fun when yeah. we're in community and you know, because you can you can make music just your own thing and mm -hmm. kind of make that a silo. And mm -hmm. we don't want silos at no. St. Benedict, do we? Yeah, no, no, no. And and that's been a huge part of my role is just kind of connecting with, with came in with Peter and, and Lindsay, who coordinates the four o'clock mass. Um, it's just been connecting with them and, and supporting them. Right. And that, that's been a huge thing. It's been, it's been kind of game changing for, for them and for the ministry in general. So, it's just been overall really great. Isn't that cool? So we've talked a little bit about the music. Help, help me understand, though, because I, I think you do more of the music in terms of um, the way you've approached uh, the ministry. So how do you inject faith into into what you're doing? What, what's the role of faith in the actual people who are, are who are part of the music ministry? Right. That's a good question. It's something, <laughs> it's something that we can certainly do better, but we've 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 tried, and it, it is something that actually is it's interesting. We we think we come up with these ideas on our own, um, but they're in the Vatican documents that were written, you know, fifty years ago or whatever it is, um, where we should be supporting um, our our ministry members in faith formation. Um, and so one of the things that we did just last fall is we took six weeks eight weeks, six weeks, off of rehearsing on Tuesday evenings. And instead of doing that, we brought everyone together um, and we did a faith study, actually a CCO faith study, um, nice. just to kind of tap into that side of, of, our, of our faith. Because when we come together on Tuesdays, we practice, we pray a little bit, and then we go, and that's it. And then Sundays, it's just crazy. So we, we don't really have that opportunity to to connect even socially, really, um, or, or, you know, talk about faith-related things. And so that's something that we're really interested in, in doing mm -hmm. again in some form or fashion, and it's been really good. Yeah, because you can have massively talented musicians, mm -hmm. um, but if, if they're not fed, if they're not continuing to grow in their faith, if they're not in the game plan or, or getting formation, mm -hmm. then... then um, that's a lost opportunity to help yeah. help the people that are actually ministering. The people supposed to be leading people yeah. in, in prayer to be growing in that. It's a, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. So you guys mm -hmm. are, are starting to. What's the next step? Do you think for for you is to, is there any um, plan about how to to move in the future in regards to helping your your mm -hmm. music ministry grow? Well, either we we've been talking about maybe doing uh, another faith study. There are, there's a there's a series as as Eric can tell you, um, that kind of steps up from the basics to a little bit yes. more um, complicated, not complicated, but mature uh, faith subject matter, if you will. Um, and um, the other thing that we've talked about and tossed around is having someone come in to do kind of a, a mass teaching, like te just to teach us about the mass so that we, we know in more detail and more, um, more yes. intimately what we're, what, we're, what we're doing here. Mm. Um, because... I don't think most of us have had anything like that beyond, you know, Again, we make a lot of assumptions. We're there every week, so we must yeah, know. Exactly. About, but, you know, yeah. not really. I remember yeah. sitting in hockey one time beside a friend, and uh, we're getting dressed. And he says, you're Catholic, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he asked me some question. This was years ago. I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. He says, isn't it crazy? We grow up in the church. We go every Sunday. And we don't know the yeah. answers to the simplest questions our non-Catholic friends ask us. And I, yeah. know. I said, yeah, wow. it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. It's our fault maybe for not learning and listening. But, mm -hmm. you know, we take so many things for granted. And I think yeah. in our culture today that 
you know, I think we need to inject meaning back into the different parts of who we are. And mm -hmm. who we are is way bigger than simply the liturgy. Yeah, liturgy absolutely. is so beautiful and so important, but it's not, it doesn't exhaust what it means to be Catholic. And in mm -hmm. so many churches, it does. Mm -hmm. Because it's exhausting if you're in leadership to put on a liturgy every week. It's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. And so it, a lot of people don't have the energy, the emotional resources to to see beyond that. And, mm -hmm. and if we don't, it really diminishes our experience on the weekend. Mm -hmm. and how many people in the, in, the, in the band are in connect groups? I think on paper all of them are, but I don't know that their schedules permit them to go every week. Sure. Um, that's one of the nice but, things about connect groups yeah. is that you can come and yeah. go. And But I, about half of us, five out of ten, are in the same connect group. So that's, oh, that's we're, we're kind of nice. stacked in that one. The music ministry is probably really good in that one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Although one of your band members is a connect group leader with us, and he leads the music a lot, Rob. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so we get great music thanks yeah. to the music ministry, yeah. too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not shy on that. But look, you're in a leadership role at St. Ben. And so anyone who's in a leadership role at St. Benedict has a responsibility to raise up others. And so I'm just curious, in terms of when you look at, uh, and this might be more, I don't know if you've had to face this yet in terms of your own challenges since you've taken on the role, um, but I think it'd be helpful for people who are listening. When, when you think about who you need to raise up in, mm -hmm. in music ministry, what are some of the key things you're looking for? Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> I've been saying that a lot. Like, There's all great questions. But um, it, it's something that we've been... Uh, like we're aware that we need to work on. We just haven't quite gotten to the point where we're actively um, digging into it. Well, we, we did you dig into it. You have at times, though. We, we have. And then uh, so the people that we raised up uh, had a baby. And so they're, you know, they're, so their involvement has to kind of... <laughs> I know somebody else having a baby soon. Your wife is pregnant. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that looks, too. Yeah, we'll, we'll see Might be pulling happens. Eric back into the music <laughs> ministry. He's no stranger yeah. to that ministry. Yeah, but some of the, the key characteristics that we look for are... I mean, largely they're the same ones that we look for in any ministry. We want someone who is faithful, someone who is available, someone who is uh, teachable. Yeah. Um, and kind of the, the one that distinguishes them from, from any other ministry is someone who's musically gifted, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I've experienced in many churches is that often you'll have people who are very generous with their time, who are very woman. available, um, the kindest people you'll ever meet, humble, but they have no musical giftedness whatsoever. And and really, it, my my opinion and my thought is that for music ministry to be effective, for it to reach people, it has to be good. Um, mm -hmm. Because certainly I get hung up on... <laughs> I think that's an I, opinion we can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> I find it distracting if I'm at a mass or I'm at a service where the music is wanting. I find it difficult to get past that. And I mean, maybe that's just a me thing, but... I think that's a fairly common experience. Mm -hmm. No, it's fair. The hymns, homily, and hospitality, mm -hmm. right? Truly, like mm -hmm. those three things that Father James highlights in his book mm -hmm. really are critical to just mm -hmm. even having, you know, to have a good experience. If yeah. any of those three are off, it's going to make a big impact yeah. on people's experience of what you do on the weekend. And yeah. we have an opportunity, yeah. don't we, to... Yeah. So where would you stand, uh, and you can just give me your personal opinion, where would you stand, because I know some, some parishes around the world would look to, to hire musicians, whether they're, they're Christian or not, mm -hmm. whether they're, they're faithful or not. Where, where would you personally stand on that idea? That's a sticky one, um, <laughs> because I've, I've seen scenarios where someone involved in music ministry is non-believing or is 
you know, absent, faith is absent from their lives and they're just kind of indifferent. But they um, like music and they're there to Exactly, or they were thing. hired yeah. to do it or whatever yeah. the case is. And then they experience conversion through that. Right. So mm. that's awesome. Right. You can't, you know, so it's, it's difficult to discount that, but at the same time, from a, a ministry standpoint, you can't give what you don't have, right? And so it, it, you can't lead people in worship if you're not worshiping. Not worship, you're yeah, exactly. singing. So it's, it, it is a difficult one. I would say that that would almost be a case-by-case case thing. I would always prefer to bring on someone who is faithful. Yeah. Um, but uh, depending on the scenario, it might be okay to bring someone on. Well, who and is, that's where we have to challenge the people in leadership. Like, mm -hmm. what are we leading people to? Are yeah. we giving people tasks or are we leading people to Christ? Exactly. And if we're leading people to Christ, it's okay to bring somebody on who's not mm -hmm. there yet, mm -hmm. but let's make them our project. Let's invest yeah. in them. Let's do what we yeah. can to bring them into an experience of Christ. Yeah. Let's not just leave them there and just take from them their gifts of music and yeah. and, and and as if their soul doesn't matter, yeah. as if coming to Jesus Christ doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly, and that it's would be a, one of the things yeah. that I would say would be one of the kind of conditions for bringing on someone who is not growing in their faith, or at least open to growing in their faith, is I would say whoever's overseeing them would have to invest in them in a spiritual yeah. way. Yeah, because sense. does does what we believe matter? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then who cares? Just exactly. perform and let's just do church on the weekends and let God sort it out. Mm -hmm. But I think he invites us to play a much more active role mm -hmm. in caring for people's souls. Mm -hmm. And that includes people in ministry if yep. we're in leadership. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Uh, so, Phil, I'm well known uh, in this ministry for being able to play three chords, mm -hmm. the same three chords that are in the song Wild Thing. So, if ever you need me to step in to, to something else, <laughs> just know I will make myself He's available. Good. I don't know how liturgically appropriate that is, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to run that by Wild Sarah. for Christ? <laughs> Look, Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. For, for everyone who's been watching and joining us, uh, Phil actually did a workshop at the Divine Renovation 2018 conference. I got to stand in there with him and his wife, and they did a phenomenal job. Job, uh, talking through all sort of the nuts and bolts of the music ministry. So for members of the Divine Renovation Network and the Divine Renovation Association, that video will be up on our, our DRA website. Uh, and that's perhaps another reason that you might want to join the DRA. So if you're not yet a member of the Divine Renovation Association, feel free, encouraged, uh, feel encouraged rather to, to join at divinerenovation.net. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. God bless. Mm -hmm.